0: The following is a resource from the Dwark Hill Study Center. Dwark Hill exists to help Christians take every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ. We hope that you enjoy this lecture. And we are excited to be here tonight. I'm really excited to have our speaker here. Dr. Lane Tipton, and I'll introduce him in just a second. First, a couple things, a couple thank yous. I would like to thank everyone who helped to get this together. Uh, Karen Bonagura took care of the food, and she is a tremendous blessing to us. I thank, I thank her. And I, help, I, I thank everyone else who helped uh, Matt and Mike and Glenn and Wally and uh, my son Andy putting together these, uh, these programs for us this evening. I'm very thankful for that, and I'm thankful for uh, Walk Hill uh, River Art School. Uh, they, they are so kind to us to let us come in and just tear this place apart and do what we want with it. They leave me the key. <laughs> they, they say, lock up when you go, and uh, so they've been a really rich blessing to us. I want to encourage you to bless them back and buy some of the art that's on these walls. Uh, uh, these are for sale. It turns out, actually, this room is my neighbor, uh, Rick Parenti, lives down the street, and I was blown away to know that this was his work. Um, don't look too closely at some of these pieces. They may not be appropriate for a City of God lecture. But, um, <laughs> yeah. So keep your eyes your eyes keep your eyes on Lane. All right, Lane. Uh, but anyway, that being said, if it fits your fancy, buy it and uh, bless them. They also run art classes here. They do a terrific job. Go look at some of their videos. They have wonderful art teachers and uh, and so forth. So thank you uh, greatly to them. Also, I'd like to make some acknowledgements. I'm very uh, happy. That uh, Coach is here, we call him Coach, uh, he's Bill Spanger, he's my dad, and uh, he's the president of Affirmative Evangelism Fellowship, which is the mother ministry of the Dwark Hill Study Center and also Chap <laughs> chapel, oh, oh wow, oh. hey, I gave them all a $5 discount if they would clap, so that's what that was, like. um, so I, I'm very thankful that uh, Coach is here and just a couple others, uh, Justin Sherritt is here and Brad McDuffie, Dr. Brad McDuffie. Uh, is here, and I mention them because Brad had an article up on our Dwark Hill website, as our featured article on poetry, and uh, that just came down, it's still up there, it's just not the first thing you'll see when you go to our website, um, and Justin Sherritt has an article on the Ascension that is up there, and I would just encourage you to go to dwarkhill.org and check out uh, their articles and their work, and I'm thankful for them and uh, for their participation. Um, also, you did receive these uh, programs on your uh, seat, And just to give you some heads up about some upcoming things that we have there, down on the bottom right, uh, we have um, uh, classes beginning next Thursday at Goodwill. I'm teaching it, uh, a 10-week class. Kevin Sherritt will be taking two weeks, um, and it's on the doctrine of God. So theology proper, as we call it, in systematic theology, and that will be over at Goodwill Thursday night, 6.30 to 8.30. Um, Martin Luther on trial. Uh, last year, we did, a, we did a lecture on The Great Divorce, C.S. Lewis's work, The Great Divorce, and then took a group down to see the play in New York City. It was a blast. We had a great time. We took another group to go. We did a lecture on screw tape letters and then went to see the play. This year, uh, Max McLean's production is doing, and they, they had the, the uh, it was in production last year, and a few of us went to see it, Martin Luther on trial. It's a creative and imaginative look at Luther's life, and we'll be doing the same thing uh, to be announced as far as the dates go. But I'll be doing a lecture on Martin Luther, and then we're going to take a group. We're hoping to get 100. We had 60 to go to uh, Great Divorce, and we head down there. We all have dinner at John's Pizza. We walk down the street, and we, uh, we go watch the play. It's a blast. It's a lot of fun. So we'll send emails. As long as we got your emails, we'll send it out and let you know when the lecture is and when the, uh, when the trip is. It's a lot of fun, so look for that. And then some other things. Behold the Lamb is a class on uh, Christ in the Old Testament will be this winter. And then the last thing, uh, there at the bottom, we're very excited about this opportunity that Dwark Hill has to partner with a group of pastors in Kenya and with Third Mill Ministries in Orlando, Florida, to do a pastor's conference for 150 bush pastors uh, this coming October, just a few weeks away, and I'll be traveling over there uh, to teach theology. They've asked for systematic theology, of all things, in, uh, in Kenya. And my brother, Stephen, is lecturing. They've asked him to lecture on expository preaching. So this is a real, we're just very excited about the privilege. And I can already hear these 150 Kenyan pastors singing, and I'm already blessed. <laughs> and I just know I'm going to be so much more blessed than they're going to be from this trip. So as we get going, I'll be asking you all for prayer uh, as we approach that. So just some upcoming events. All right, that being said, we've come here this evening to hear uh, Dr. Lane Tipton, and I want to introduce him and then turn things over to him. He'll give his talk, and then we'll let you stretch for a second. And then we'll have a little time of Q&A. So oh, by the way, uh, there's a little place for notes on the back. If you would like a pen, we have the Palo Pens. So uh, Matt will, uh, or Justin, if you want a pen, um, go ahead and grab one if you didn't have one. Uh, Let me go ahead and introduce our speaker, Dr. Lane Tipton is an ordained minister in the OPC, and we have a little, where's my OPC contingent? Here they are, the OPCers who came all the way from Paramus. Yeah, Elaine is pumped. So, yeah, they get a hand clap, yes. That's another $5 discount. Okay, these guys are, yeah, that's right, that's right. The PCA contingent is suffering here. Um, uh, Dr. Tipton is ordained in the OPC, and he pastors Trinity OPC in Easton, Pennsylvania. He is the Charles Cray, am I saying it right, Dr. Tipton? Okay, all right. Uh, Charles Cray Chair of Biblical and Systematic Theology at Westminster Theological Seminary in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. He's married to Charlene, but if you're around him, he only ever calls her Char. So I actually had to ask, Lane, what is it? It's Char, but is it Charlene? Is it Charlotte? It's Charlene. So, uh, and, he's, and they have four children together. I'm excited that Lane is here because I've had the privilege of getting to know him through Kevin Sherratt over the past several years. We take a few trips a year to Philly and hang out with him and talk theology, and it's been a tremendous blessing. And maybe the best way I can describe Lane in my time with him is I think of him like the middle linebacker of theology. That's what Lane is. He's like a middle linebacker of theology. He, now, he's turning away, but he knows it's true. He knows it's true. He's, a, he's leaving, yeah, yeah. Hey, it doesn't mean you don't have good hands, but it means you're fast, you hit hard. Uh, Lane, Lane is a terrific theologian. He takes the word of God seriously. Uh, he is diligent in his explanation of it, and I have been thoroughly blessed by our times together down with him. So let me pray and then have uh, Dr. Tipton come and speak with us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for the blessing of being your children. Father, we thank you for the privilege that we can be in a country where we can gather together and talk theology. And talk about the great, the central doctrine of union with Christ. Father, today we're especially thankful for Dr. Tipton being here, making the long trip from Philly to spend this time with us. We pray that you would bless him and bless us as we listen. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Dr. Lane Tipton. Thank you, Lane.
1: I guess I should have brought a, a helmet or something. I I didn't know. I didn't see linebacker coming. I, re- I really didn't. Um, I do like football, but it, I don't think I uh, I don't think I teach much like a middle linebacker. I, I, well, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. I, I appreciate the sentiment. Um, I I'm here this evening to try to give you around a 35 to 45 minute exposition of the doctrine of union with Christ, what it means for you by the Spirit and through faith, to be mystically joined to Christ in an unbreachable bond of union and communion. That's the goal of what we're doing. I have enough material to talk longer than that, but I've been told it's a good idea to stay somewhere around 35 to 40 minutes. Afterwards, we're going to do some time for Q&A. And so realize this, I actually love Q&A. Some people don't. So, feel free any questions that come into your mind, jot them down, ask them, and there really isn 't such a thing as a bad question when it comes to talking about the gospel, so feel free to feel free to to, to shoot questions our way when we 're finished. Um, I, I thought about various ways to try to begin tonight, and I thought I would frame the comments i 'm going to make by a statement from John Calvin that has become a classic among Reformed theologians and it's in his Institutes of the Christian Religion. It's Book 3, Section 1 and it begins his discussion of this topic. How is it that what Christ has accomplished once and for all in His life, death, resurrection and ascension and His intercession at the right hand of God, how does that come to benefit you and me As Christians, how is the redemption accomplished by Christ applied to the church individually and corporately? And he says this, he says, first, we must understand that as long as Christ remains outside of us and we are separated from him, All that he has suffered and done for the salvation of the human race remains useless and of no value to us. So Calvin begins by situating the application of redemption in terms of this principle. You separated from Christ means that no benefits of Christ can accrue to you. No benefits accomplished by Christ. The redemption, the propitiation of wrath, the expiation of sin, the reconciliation by the blood of the cross, the resurrection life that belongs to Him. It cannot come to benefit you until you are related to Him in some way. And He says that we obtain this salvation by faith in Christ By which, faith, we come to enjoy Christ and His benefits. Now, later on in the history of the Reformed tradition, Westminster Shorter Catechism 30, you'll read something like this, that we are united to Christ in our effectual calling through faith. Faith is a spirit-worked organ or instrument by which we lay hold of Christ And Christ is bound to us and we are bound to Him through faith. And the question that Calvin asks and answers is this, how is this faith that unites to Christ effected? He said, we have this faith by the, quote, secret energy of the Spirit. He says this, the Holy Spirit, now this is the quote, the Holy Spirit is the bond by which Christ effectually unites us to Himself. And so when you think about what Calvin's saying, Christ comes to you and you come to Christ by Spirit-worked faith. By Spirit-worked. Produced faith. And the reality that binds Christ to you and you to Christ is the supernatural, sovereign, personal agency of the Holy Spirit. He is the bond of an unbreachable union that you sustain to Christ by faith. That's a kind of basic profile of what Reformed theology teaches when it comes to the church's salvation in Christ. Now what I want to do tonight is not expound Calvin. That would be worth our time. Calvin, in my estimate, still remains unsurpassed in terms of describing biblically and theologically spirit-worked union with Christ by faith. But what I want to do is Look at a few biblical texts that are designed to do this. They're designed to kind of expand our horizons and help us understand how the Spirit unites us to Christ by working faith in us in our effectual calling. And so if you have a Bible, I know you may not. Many of you might have phones with with apps on them. Feel free to look at your Bible. If you don't, just listen along, and I'm going to try to go slowly enough that you can follow. What I want us to begin thinking about is the teaching of Jesus and Paul on the role of the Holy Spirit in uniting the church to Jesus Christ. Uniting believers to Jesus Christ. And so I want you to... to, There are many places we could go, and I'm trying to keep this to a reasonably brief lecture. John 16, 13 through 15. And I'll probably... um, I won't comment fully on this, but you'll see where we're going to go. John 16, 13 through 16. We'll read this. This is Jesus teaching about the role of the Spirit... Listen after He rises and ascends into heaven. Here's what He says. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. For He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. Listen to this. He will glorify Me... For he will take what is mine and make it known to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you a little while and you will see me no longer and a little while you will see me again. Now, this is the point. Jesus teaches that the Holy Spirit will take all that belongs to the crucified, resurrected, and ascended Messiah, and he will mediate the redemptive benefits of Christ to his church. The Spirit is the one who is appointed to be the one that pours out or brings Christ to the church... And brings the church to Christ. This is what the Spirit will do. He will take all that Christ procures for His church, make that known to the church so that the church can embrace Christ by the Spirit's power. But notice that Jesus says, a little while you will see Me no longer, in a little while you will see Me. This refers to Jesus' ascension into heaven You will see me no longer. And then his second coming, you will see me again. In the interim, between those two events, his ascension and his second coming, he sends the Spirit. That's what the day of Pentecost is about. Acts 2.32. He rises from the dead, ascends into heaven, receives the Spirit, and then what? Pours out what was seen and heard. The Spirit is the Spirit of Christ and the Spirit comes to the church and is the one through whom and in whom Christ is present to His people by faith. So the Spirit takes what belongs to Christ, all of it in its fullness, and He makes that known, He discloses that, and seals that to His church. Let me put it a different way. The Spirit, in different language, will bind Christ to you and you to Christ. He will be a bond of union by which you belong to Christ and Christ belongs to you. He will be the one who confers life and righteousness upon the people of God in Christ. But let me give you one other portion of what Jesus teaches from John 14 to fill out this picture. And you've read this text before, but when you put it in the context of the Spirit's work, this will make perhaps more sense than it has in in the past. Jesus uses the image of departing so that while He is departed... And as he sends the Spirit, he is engaged in an activity that brings his church into view. And listen to what he says in John 14. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I not have told you. Here it is that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to Myself so that where I am, you may be also. Jesus is saying that as the ascended Christ His work in heaven continues as He builds a place for His church so that by the Spirit sent from heaven He might return and bring you where He is face to face so that you might be with Jesus. Do you want to know what the heart of the Gospel is? That's it. That's the heart of the Gospel. To be brought where Jesus is in the flesh, face to face. The Father's place, the Father's house, is a place of life. The Father's house, the Father's place, is a place of salvation. It is a place of glory. It is a place of rest. It is a place beyond conflict with the serpent. A place free from sin. And Jesus sends the Spirit from heaven to bind you to Himself, listen, with the end in view that He would bring you bodily where He is into Sabbath rest and eternal life and the perfection of the communion bond that you have with God in Christ by the Spirit. You see, the heart of the Christian religion, the true heart of the Gospel, is that the Spirit of truth will not only bring Christ to you by faith in this age, but bring you to Christ by sight in the age to come. The Spirit will not only bring Christ to you by faith in this age, He will bring you to Christ by sight in the age to come. That is the heart of the of Christian hope. Being brought to where Jesus is comprises the sweetest promise of the Gospel. To be brought where Jesus is bodily, to be in the Father's house with Jesus, is the end of trial, the end of hardship, the end of suffering. It is the beginning of the eternal state of communion with your Savior, not by faith, but by sight. So when Jesus brings you to your Father's house, it is then that He wipes every tear from your eye. It is then that He destroys forever the sting of death. It is then that He banishes all of His and your enemies, and He confers upon you glory and rest. You see, those two texts provide a window into the significance of spirit-forged union with Christ that lies at the very heart of the Gospel. Now what I want to do next is help you see Ephesians 1.13 and 3.17 as an expansion or exposition of Jesus' teaching. Just remember this as a sidebar. The Apostle Paul does nothing but expound the authoritative teaching of his Lord and his Savior. There's nothing essentially new. There's nothing essentially creative in what Paul is doing. He simply expounds by the superintending power of the Spirit in an inerrant written form what his Savior is taught during his earthly ministry and what his Savior taught him as he ascended into heaven. So look at Ephesians 1.13 and 14. And we'll start with Ephesians 1.13. And look at verse 14 briefly. Listen to this. In Christ, in him, Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. Notice what Paul is saying here. First, it is only as you are united to Christ by faith that you are sealed With the Spirit. Being in Christ, I want you to think of it this way, is being sealed into Him by the agency of the Spirit. Christ is sealed to you. You are sealed to Christ in in an unbreakable bond by the Spirit of promise. The promised Spirit. The Spirit Christ receives as ascended, And the Spirit, Christ pours out upon His church. And so, as the Spirit indwells you, He brings Christ to you in a sealing bond of union. As the Spirit indwells you, He brings Christ to dwell in you. And you are sealed in Christ with the promised Holy Spirit. And there are other texts in Paul that make clear the reciprocal character of this union bond. Let me give you one example. Romans 8, 9 through 10, listen to the functionally interchangeable language of the Spirit and Christ here. They remain two distinct persons, but they are so closely united in their function... That to be in the Spirit is to be in Christ, and to be in Christ is to be in the Spirit. Listen to this. Romans 8, 9, and 11. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Now listen to the combinations that are here. I don't want to do this too quickly, uh, but but note. You are in the Spirit. Verse 9. The Spirit is in you. You are in Christ. Verse 10. Christ is in you. The Spirit is the bond between you and Christ so that where the Spirit is, is, there Christ is, dwelling in and with His people. Paul says something similar in Ephesians 3.17. In Ephesians 3.16, he says, his prayer is that God might give you in the riches of His glory to be strengthened in power through His Spirit In your inner person, your inner being, so that Christ might dwell in your heart through faith. Being in Christ, sharing in Christ is a fellowship of the Holy Spirit so that Christ is in you and you are in Christ. So to sum this up, let me put this in a summary form and and think of it this way. The Spirit is the bond of your union with Christ when you view that bond from the divine side. How is it that you're joined to Christ and Christ is joined to you from the divine side? By the supernatural power of the Spirit. But at the same time, and moving on, far away from a kind of universalism. I want you to notice this as well from both Ephesians 1.13 and 3.17. Note that you are united to Christ by the Spirit only through faith. This is critical. Only through faith. Ephesians 1.13. You are sealed in the Spirit in union with Christ when what happens? When you believed, one thirteen. Christ through the Spirit dwells in your heart through what? 3.17, through faith. Believing and faith are synonymous in these texts. If the Spirit is the bond of union from the divine side, Spirit-wrought faith is the bond of union viewed from the human side. That is to say, you come to be united to Christ, listen, when you self-consciously rest only upon Him for eternal life, for justification, for sanctification, for every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Apart from faith, there is no sharing in Christ there is no sealing with the Spirit. Faith is the instrumental bond of union with Christ viewed from the human side. As faith trusts in Christ, as faith rests on Christ and receives Christ, that faith brings about union. But it's a union in which the Spirit binds you to Christ And an empty hand of faith, listen, lays hold of Him as it were. Embraces Him. And rests upon Him. But I want to make this clear, particularly if you have a tender conscience. You can think that I see the strength of the union viewed from the side of the Spirit. But I sense the weakness of of that union when I view it from the side of faith. If you have a tender conscience, you think that way. There's wonderful news for you. Listen. When we say we are united to Christ by faith, we must make one thing abundantly clear. If you are a believer in Christ, you know deep inside of yourself that the faith you have did not come from yourself it did not originate you and it is not listen it is not of human origin the Apostle Paul teaches that we are dead in our sins and trespasses Ephesians 2 1 and repeated in Ephesians 2 5 dead people do not rise up and believe dead people cannot save themselves. They cannot believe. They do not have the capacity to believe. So what is the biblical testimony? Ephesians eight. It is by grace you are saved through faith and this not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that we would boast. See, the wonderful thing about salvation in Christ is that faith is graciously gifted to us, and please hear this, comes with all of the omnipotent power of God as He works it in you by His Spirit. So that the faith by which you are united to Christ is Spirit-produced faith. Faith that has behind it the omnipotence of God and the invincibility of His power. So that that faith union has all of the efficacy and strength and vibrancy and unbreachability of the Spirit who produced it. Hmm? Wonderful news, you see. So that the Spirit works faith in us, so that our union with Christ is by the Spirit. And a spirit worked and spirit sustained faith. Paul says in Philippians 1.6, He who began this good work in you, right? This spirit gifted faith will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And there is no one who can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus your Lord. Romans 8.39 The union, in other words, by the Spirit, through faith, is an inviolable union. A union that's not breachable. A union that's not breakable by anything in heaven, on earth, or under it. And that is encouraging and edifying to the church. It's why we praise God for His grace. But I want to say this. Union with Christ by faith is not only individual, but it's corporate. We have spoken so far in individual terms, but I want you to appreciate this. The faith that unites to Christ is a faith that forms a body of Christ. You are not united to Christ alone. Let me put it a different way. I cannot believe for you, right? I can't believe for my children. Sometimes I wish I could, but they're doing pretty well, so I'm thankful. Um, I can't believe for you. You cannot believe for me, but we believe together, don't we? Right? We believe together so that, so that as we believe, you believe and I believe, we believe together. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, In one spirit, we were all baptized into one body Jews or Greeks, slaves or free and all were made to drink of one spirit. Right? There is the spirit of whom you drink when he brings Christ to you and you to Christ by working faith in you. Not some believers, by the way, all believers our Holy Spirit baptized. And as baptized in the Spirit, we are baptized into one body and this is something in 12.13 at least that occurs by faith. Let me put it one way. That might help. There is no fellowshipping in Christ that is not simultaneously a fellowship with others in Christ. The fellowship and communion we have in Christ is also a fellowship and communion we have with believers in Christ. It's the communion of the saints. One body, many parts, in union with Christ. So to polarize what is corporate and personal in matters of the Gospel and salvation and the Christian life is foreign to the New Testament. They belong together. But I want you to notice this, and I'm 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 trying to compress. I know we we I'm on a I'm on a clock. But uh, the 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 point that that needs to be put further, not only not only is faith spirit worked faith necessary for union with Christ, so that people who don't know Christ are not united to Him. Right? That's a, it's popular today to just. Talk about an anonymous Christianity where you don't need faith in Christ to be saved. But the gospel is also essential when it comes to union with Christ by faith. Remember Ephesians 1.13 one more time. It is when you what? Heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed. Faith comes by Hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. This is why it's absolutely, non-negotiably, indispensable that the Gospel be preached. It is through that means, and never apart from that means, that the Spirit works faith in those whom He calls can talk to me about infants born. Uh, We've talked about John the Baptist. I've got an answer, I think. But faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, and the gospel is an indispensable instrumental means that the Spirit uses in working faith. And this is why Reformed churches emphasize preaching as the primary means of grace. You need the gospel. Were it not for the work of the Spirit, all that the Father has ordained and Christ has accomplished would never benefit us in the least. And now let me make a comment and make something explicit I've left implicit up to this point. Faith. What is faith? Well, faith has three indispensable elements. Knowledge, knowing that Jesus is Lord and Savior. Assent, acknowledging your condition and need for Jesus as the only Savior from sin. And indispensable, trust. Trust. A whole-souled abandonment in terms of relying on self And a giving yourself entirely to Christ in reliance and trust. I'll give you an example of what I do. I do this with my children. I finished because the the, um, youngest one's now 11. And I do this when they're about 3, 4, 5, something like that. I tell them this. I say, I want to teach you about faith in Christ. I make them stand with their backs to me. I'm behind them. And I tell them that they can't move their heels. Do you go, some of you are old enough to remember. remember the Nesty plunge? Do you remember that? Yeah? yeah. You do the Nesty plunge, you just fall straight back into the pool without moving your feet, right? I say, kids, I want you to do the Nesty plunge. But here's the thing, you can't move your feet, because right before you hit the floor, guess who's going to catch you? Dad. Now here's the question. Do you trust me? Do you trust me? You know what happens? One of my kids just did it right away. But most of the time, just the, the, the wild and crazy boy, but, um, but, but most of the time you get this, you get, right? Because why? They don't, they don't trust me yet. But when they finally trust me, how can you tell? They abandon themselves entirely into my hands. And I catch them, right? That posture is what faith does. It, abandons trust in self support in self and falls upon Christ leans upon Christ entirely as he is revealed in the pages of the scriptures of the old and new testament one image of this that is used by some commentators you can I won't read it John 13:23 through 25 one of the disciples reclines upon Jesus rests upon Jesus but I want to do something now um, uh, that, that I, I hope will help you see something of the practical value of this. I, I tend not to be one who focuses a lot on the practical side because my job at the seminary is more of the theological. I do systematic and biblical theology, and the practical theology department's a different department. But I am a pastor, so I care. I do. I really do. Um, but it's important to note just a couple of of basic points about union with Christ. And I might just make one and then we can do Q&A here in a second. But it's important to note that union with Christ focuses our salvation where it belongs. The benefactor of redemption. It doesn't focus our attention on ourselves. It focuses on Christ. It focuses on the Spirit's work in directing us to Christ and binding us to Him in a permanent union bond. So where is the focus, first and foremost? It's not on benefits or things we might receive, but it's on the crucified, resurrected benefactor in whom we receive every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, Ephesians 1.3. The one who has become for us righteousness, holiness, and redemption, 1 Corinthians 1.30. Union with Christ focuses our salvation on Christ Himself. And this keeps us, listen, it keeps us from being unduly preoccupied with one benefit of that union such as justification, or adoption, or sanctification. And it makes our understanding of the Christian life, listen, personal. It, makes, it, it, it reminds us that at the core of our Christian life is a living, vital, reciprocal relationship with a person. And that's critical. You can talk to him, lean on him, rest upon him. These, this does not devalue the benefits, but it reminds us of this, that they come to us only as a consequence of our being in the benefactor. That's the first point. Second one, I will make it and then we'll, we'll write. Second one is this. Union with Christ keeps our focus on Christ, but it also makes clear the wholeness of our salvation. The wholeness of our salvation. What I mean by that can be illustrated by a controversy that began in the early 80s in the United States known as the Lordship Controversy. Does anyone remember Zane Hodges? I'm starting to feel old Absolutely free? It was a book that argued that you can have Jesus as Savior, but not Lord. Right? You can trust in Him as Savior, but not receive Him as Lord. And that's possible. But if we understand union with Christ properly, we recognize this. You either receive in union the whole Christ, or you receive no Christ. It's the whole Christ as both Savior and Lord, or it's no Christ. Why? Because listen, His person cannot be torn into pieces. You cannot receive a portion of Him and pass on another. You cannot have your sins forgiven by Jesus unless your life is given over to worshiping and obeying him. Hmm? You can't have Jesus as the mediator between yourself and God unless you have him in all three of his offices, his threefold office of what? Prophet, priest, and king. Jesus is your priest, the sacrifice for your sins, the one who intercedes to God for you, as he is the prophet to whom you listen and the king to whom you submit. You cannot separate those offices and rend Christ asunder. There is no half Christ with only partial benefit. There is a whole Christ with all of the benefits of the gospel and you are united to him by a spirit wrought faith. Now I believe that what we've looked at tonight is is as deep as you can get when it comes to understanding the Christian life. What, What is your Christian life most basically about? It's about this. It's about a God-man, a Savior, who came to this world, lived a perfect life, died a substitutionary death on behalf of you for your sins, satisfied the wrath of God, rose up into heaven, is preparing a place for you, and has given you His Spirit as a pledge of your inheritance that he is preparing for you until such time that the one seated at the Father's right hand does what? He rises up, he returns, and he brings you body and soul into his Father's house, into the inheritance that is yours, which is God himself in all of his glory. We are, you can ask me about this in QA if you want, you're an eschatological Levite. God is your inheritance in Christ. And the heart of the Christian Gospel is that you will be brought where Jesus is. Jesus guarantees that. He promises that. And He will do it. And that is what your hope is fixed on. When faith gives way to sight and you enter into your Father's house to see Jesus and abide with Him forever... And the communion bond that you have with God, listen, is never again clouded by sin, never separated by death, never interfered with by Satan or demons or perishability or weakness or hardship or trial. It's then that union with Christ, listen, flourishes into the fullness of communion with God in a new heavens and new earth where you will dwell in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ forever. All of the benefits of redemption subserve that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would bless us as we meditate on your word as we think about union with Christ by the Spirit and through faith, build us up in Christ. Give us hope and strength and grace. Renew our minds and transform us from glory to glory. Comfort us and give us deep encouragement and abiding hope and cause us to know the peace of God that passes understanding. We ask now that you would consecrate us to your service, that you would bless our time of uh, question and answer, And that we would continue to seek to stir one another up toward love and good deeds as you work in us by your Holy Spirit through faith, forming us into Christ-likeness. We pray this in Jesus' name.
0: This has been a production of the Dwark Hill Study Center. All our lectures and classes are available for free streaming or for purchase on CD and download at dwarkhill.org. Please visit our website to receive more information regarding the Study Center and upcoming events, and to view articles and blogs from our contributors.